All right, guys, intrusive thoughts. Let's talk about it. Uh, this is something that's really, really, really on my heart today. Uh, I put out a short video just a little while ago, and I just really wanted to kind of do a long form extended conversation <clears throat> about this. I don't know why all of a sudden my voice doesn't seem to be working, but, <laughs> but I think that uh, there's somebody that needs to hear this. So talking about intrusive thoughts, those thoughts that sometimes come into your mind seemingly out of nowhere, but that I think we end up getting so used to negative thoughts just coming into our brain that we think that it's normal and we think that we don't have any control over it. Or we don't even, I think the better way to say that is sometimes we don't even think about exercising any control or authority over it because I think sometimes we've gotten so used to certain negative thoughts that just seem to come our way. And so I want to talk about these intrusive thoughts and how the word of God gives us the answer to actually dealing with these things, these thoughts that come into our mind, whether we're talking about <clears throat> those thoughts that lead to you uh, just feeling depressed, if it's anxiety, if it's worry, if it's fearful thoughts, if it's you know, the guilt and the, what's the word, uh, the condemnation and that kind of thing that comes into your mind, you know, those lies that, that come from the enemy that sometimes plague your mind. And the crazy thing is when we start talking about intrusive thoughts, a thought could come into your mind and then derail you for the rest of the day. A thought can come into your mind and kind of disrupt your whole world for however long. And it can go on for a moment. It could go on for an hour. It could go on for a day, a week, a month. Like these thoughts can come into your mind. And if you don't know how to deal with them, they can really begin to dismantle your way of thinking and kind of consume your thought life. And I want to tell you that God doesn't want you to live that way. And God has given us the answer in scripture. And so we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study in this episode. We're going to talk about those intrusive thoughts and we're going to talk about how to deal with them. All right. So stick with me. I hope that the content of this, <laughs> this is going to end up being a podcast but if you're watching this as a live stream or whatever, um, if you get anything out of it, please do me a favor and uh, leave a comment or a review or something like that so we can keep putting these conversations and these episodes out for more and more people to see. So thank you guys so much in advance for that. So what we're talking about are intrusive thoughts. Again, those thoughts that that come in and plague your mind, sometimes they it seems like they show up out of nowhere, but we can be tricked into thinking that that just because the thought came into my mind, that must mean that it's my thought. That must mean that it belongs to me. That must mean that I'm supposed to keep thinking about this. There must be a reason why that thought came into my mind. Here's the thing. Not every thought that comes into your mind belongs to you. In fact, many thoughts that come into your mind do not belong to you, and you have authority over your thought life. I don't know, maybe no one's ever told you that before, but you actually have authority over your own thought life. You don't have to be a victim. You don't have to just come under subjection to every thought that comes into your mind because a lot of times intrusive thoughts come your way. Let me let me talk to you about something before I get into the, the scripture 
and start breaking some of this stuff down. One of the things that has has affected me uh, in the past are intrusive thoughts, even about my own salvation. And here's the thing, you know, looking back years ago, I remember, like, I remember specifically being in Bible college. And I remember who was up teaching. I remember where I was sitting in the room on this particular day where somebody was up there talking about how their faith had gotten rocked, how their faith had gotten shaken after many, many years of being in the church and even being in ministry and following the Lord, how they got to this place where these thoughts had begun to come into their into their mind. They began to entertain these thoughts and they began to become unsure of whether or not all of this was real whether or not we could really trust the authority of Scripture, whether or not we could trust in the, 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 the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and all of this, like these things that happened so long ago that we have in our Bible today that we read, that we know, that we study, that we talk about, that we preach, like that, that many of us, if you're like me, that we grew up with and, and all of that, that it's like, how do I know that I can really trust in this? And I remember this person kind of sharing this, experience that they had where they went through this very, very difficult and trying season of their life because their faith was like being derailed and they didn't know what they believed anymore. And I remember being in Bible college, probably 20, 21 years old at the time and sitting back there thinking, wow, I don't think that could ever happen to me. I don't think I could ever get to that place where I lose my faith like that or where I'm not sure of my faith because I've seen God move and and and, and I've seen the power of God manifest and I've experienced his presence and and I know what all of that is, right? Fast forward to like years later after being in ministry for years and 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 all of that having just these thoughts begin to penetrate my my mind and my brain and beginning to think, well, how do I know? that the Bible can be trusted? How do I know that what I grew up hearing about in Sunday school and in church and what I studied in Bible college and all of this, how can I really be sure that this is trustworthy and that I don't have to question these things? And and and, and all this stuff began to come into my mind. And I thought, wow, I never thought that I would be in this place. And it was a struggle for me in my mind for a season. And I think this actually happened to me more than once where there were a couple different seasons of my life where I just battled through this thinking. Like it felt like my mind was being bombarded with just these thoughts of, well, how do I know I can trust the Bible? What if I've devoted my life to ministry? What if I've devoted my life to serving the Lord and teaching the word of God? And what if this has just been something that was told to us that isn't actually based in truth? And I started to have these thoughts and I wondered, how did I get here? How is it possible that after years of ministry and serving the Lord and growing up in the church and knowing God's presence and seeing people healed and seeing the power of God and seeing the, the Holy Spirit move in, in atmospheres more times than I can count and all of this, like to be in that place of, of, of just wondering if it's even real. And what I realized today, looking back on those experiences, and I thank God that he was so good and he was so kind and so faithful in those seasons that he brought me through that. And maybe you have dealt with something like that in the past, whether it's that same kind of thing dealing with your faith, or maybe it was something else entirely. But the point is that those were intrusive thoughts that were coming into my mind that were actually causing me to 
question everything that I had ever learned. And I don't think at the time I really understood, or at least I didn't understand it as much as I do today, and not that I've arrived at anything, but but I, I don't think I understood at the time really the authority that we carry as sons and daughters of the Most High God, the authority that we have over those thoughts that come into our minds. You know, maybe you've been dealing with intrusive thoughts that have caused you to doubt yourself that have caused you to think that you're just not good enough, that you don't have what it takes. Maybe you've been dealing with recurring thoughts that come into your mind that say that, or that, or that get you to compare yourself to other people, or that cause you to think that you're going to be stuck in that place that you've been stuck in for a while, that you're going to be stuck there forever. Maybe you've been dealing with guilt, condemnation, fear, anxiety, worry. Maybe you've been dealing with depression. Maybe you've been dealing with suicidal thoughts. Maybe you've been bombarded and just harassed by the enemy with thoughts of death and thoughts of fear and, and things of that nature. And look, I want to tell you that you are not a slave to those thoughts. And you do not have to continue to live under subjection to the thoughts. Now, let me just say a quick disclaimer here. I think there are certain kinds of thoughts that come into our mind that are so intense where the best thing, the, 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 I think the best wisdom that I can give you on that is to say, look, you need to talk to somebody. I, I, I'm not one who doesn't believe in, you know, professional counselors and like, I, I believe in all of that. I believe in it. And I think there are times where you've you've got to make that decision to say, you know, I need to speak to somebody who can kind of speak to me on more of a professional level and help me deal with what I'm dealing with because I can't seem to get past it on my own. And there is zero shame in that. I think there's actually a lot of bravery in that. And, and so I would encourage you to do that if you find yourself in that place. When it comes to like the day-to-day -day stuff where we're dealing with just that mental attack, that spiritual attack, that emotional attack on our minds where we're just feeling bombarded and we're feeling like we don't have peace and we feel like we don't have the strength to keep going. Whatever those intrusive thoughts look like, I want to tell you, you do not have to keep putting up with that because you have authority that has been given to you by God to cast down all of those negative thoughts and to take them captive. So the first place I want to take you in scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This has been one of my just absolute favorite passages of scripture for, man, a long time. Many, many years. I don't know. I can't seem to find it right now, but here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Verses 3, 4, and 5, Paul gives us this really cool, I think, blueprint for dealing with negative thoughts and recognizing the power and the authority that the Lord has actually given to us over the lies of the enemy. And so I'm going to start reading in verse 3. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And I think that that's like 90% of the problem right there is that very, very often I think that we think so temporal. We think so fleshly. And when I say fleshly, I don't mean like we're, we're thinking all these sinful thoughts. I, what I mean is that we're operating according to the flesh rather than operating according to the spirit. And as a child of the most high God, you are a spirit 
being. And your spirit is alive because the spirit of God lives within you. The very same spirit that was in Jesus as he walked this earth and did all the miracles that he did. The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that today occupies your spirit. The spirit of God, the spirit of truth, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He lives in you. And so you and I, we have this amazing privilege today that we get to actually walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this says that we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And so there's the first thing right there is we need to recognize that when we are under attack, when we're under some kind of spiritual, emotional, mental attack, we don't want to try to combat that with fleshly, with earthly, with humanistic thinking. What we want to do is we want to combat that with the thinking of the Word of God, of the mind of Christ, because you actually have the mind of Christ. So that we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I want to kind of work in reverse order on verse 5 there. This is kind of the key statement here. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is your authority as a child of God. That every thought, every single thought that comes into your mind, you can actually take authority over that thought, that you can actually take that thought captive. Let me give you, look, I don't know about you, I'm a big fan of the Passion Translation. And let me read this verse from uh, the Passion Translation. So let me read verse 5 again, and I might even go back up and read the other verses in a minute, but verse five in the passion says, we can demolish every, somebody say every, we can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Come on, somebody. So it says, like prisoners of war, we capture every thought and we insist that it bow. We capture every thought and we insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. So look, you, you, are, not, you, you are not in a position in Christ where you have to remain in subjection to intrusive thoughts that come into your mind. Now, again, I get it. Sometimes those thoughts can get so out of control because I think what happens is when we feed a thought like that, like when we feed fear, when we feed anxiety, because here's the thing. Let me, let me back up. I don't believe that it's sinful. Like I don't believe that you're in sin because a fearful thought came into your brain. I don't think that you're in sin just because some kind of a, a negative, whether it's a, a disgusting, a perverted, or whatever kind of thought came into your brain. Because I don't believe that the, the thoughts that come into your mind are always a reflection of who you are. I think that we have intrusive thoughts that come into our mind and we can be, whoa, where did that even come from? Now, as we feed on that 
as we partner with that, let's just take fear, for example. So fear comes into my mind, a fearful thought that says, oh, uh, I'm not getting my, I'm not getting paid. This is something that's true, you know, that's relevant to my world. I'm not getting the commission that I was expecting. So I don't have money to pay my bills this month. And that, that might be based on a real scenario, but the fear comes into play, factoring out the grace of God, factoring out the favor of God and the provision of God to get me to focus on my lack and what I don't have and what didn't work out. And I can very, very easily get into fear over that, right? And so I allow that fear to come into my mind and I, and I begin to have those, oh man, what if I can't pay my bills this month? Look, the initial onset of fearful thinking, I don't believe that it's sinful for that thought to hit my brain. Maybe you disagree with me on that. Let me know in the comments. But I don't believe that that thought means that I'm, that I'm committing a sinful act just because that thought came into my mind. Now, the problem for me becomes when I don't think to do what it says here in verse five about actually taking that thought captive and making it bow in obedience to Jesus. If instead what I do is I begin to partner with that fear and I begin to accept that fear as my own and I begin to essentially fuel that fear because I'm feeding off of it and I'm essentially giving it legs to stand on and I'm allowing it time to actually get rooted within me, now I can get into what the Bible refers to when Paul talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and he says, the Lord has not given you a spirit of fear. When I, get, when I cross that threshold into where I've now essentially been fueling this fear to overtake me. Now I'm dealing with something that is essentially like running amok and wreaking havoc in my mind, in my thought life. What have I done? I've essentially empowered the liar by believing, by buying into his lie. By just thinking that that thought came from me, that that thought that came into my mind was supposed to be there and I was supposed to be thinking about it. And we can very easily like put some kind of a twisted uh, signature on this and, and call it wisdom and say, well, you know, we got, you know, got to use wisdom, brother. We got to use wisdom, sister. And, you know, I got to think about this because I got to get to the bottom of this. I got to put pen to paper and I got to figure this out because I don't want to be in a mess at the end of the month. And, 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 and fine, planning is okay. God is not anti-planning. God is not against you using your brain. But if your thought life is essentially running amok to the point that you're in worry and anxiety trying to figure this thing out in your own strength, that's where this becomes really, really disruptive. Now, I'm just using fear as an example, but you can put any other kind of intrusive, negative, disruptive thought pattern in that blank. You are not a slave to your thought life. So Paul gives us this instruction here and he says, we capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. A, a, a friend of mine, Britt Eaton, has been on the podcast a handful of times. She was on, uh, I think, I don't know, maybe toward the end of last year. Maybe it was longer ago than that. 
And she talked about this verse. And she talked about how if you were going to take captive a prisoner of war, that's something that hopefully you've never done and hopefully you never have to do. But if you were to take captive a prisoner of war, what are you going to do with that prisoner of war? You're probably going to interrogate them. You're probably going to ask them some questions. You're probably going to begin to inquire as to why they're here, who sent them, where is the enemy stationed, what was the plan of attack? What is, you know, you're probably going to try to get to the bottom of where that thing came from. And so this is the language that at least the Passion Translation is using, saying we capture, I was reading out of the New King James earlier, we take captive every thought. It says we capture like prisoners of war every thought, and we insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. I love the language there. It's like you negative thought, fearful thought, thought of death, thought of fear, thought of suicide thought of perversion, whatever, thought, you've got to bow before the name of Jesus because this temple belongs to the Spirit of God. You see the difference there? You see the authority that you're exercising there as a child of God, refusing to allow those negative, intrusive thoughts to just have their way with you and to wreak havoc on your mind. This actually, the, the, the language here, we capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. It actually reminds me, and this might be a bit of a stretch, but it reminds me of David in Psalm 103, right at the beginning where he says, um, let all that is within me bless his holy name. Let all that is within me bless his holy name because I don't know about you, but sometimes there's some nasty things in me. Like not everything in me, not everything in my mind, not everything that I'm feeling is always amazing. Sometimes I'm feeling depressed. Sometimes I'm feeling discouraged. Sometimes I'm feeling defeated. Sometimes I wake up and I don't feel like the greatest, you know, mightiest man of God in the world. <clears throat> Sometimes I feel like I'm a bit like I've been a disappointment to God, or I feel disappointed with what somebody's done for me or, or didn't do for me or whatever. Like there's times where we deal with stuff. I know I'm not the only one. Like there's times where we deal with stuff. And I just, I love the, the, the psalmist there saying, everything that's in me, all of it, <laughs> everything that is in me right now is going to bless the Lord. Why? Because he is worthy. He is worthy of my praise regardless of how I feel. He is worthy of my worship and my adoration. He is worthy of my time regardless of how I feel. And I think what happens is, well, I know what happens is because I've, I've experienced it too many times. What the enemy really wants to do is to try to get you disjointed and disconnected and out of sync. And, you know, what happens is he wants to use those negative thoughts and those, those lies and that manipulation and those things that come into your mind because he wants to get you on your own. He wants to get you isolated in this place of fear or worry or doubt or confusion or whatever but in this place where you're kind of spinning your wheels and trying to figure stuff out in your own strength. 
like I think what he wants to do with whatever negative thoughts are coming into your world, it's like, I want you disconnected. Now, the enemy can't separate you from God. Like, he can't do any, there's nothing that can separate you from God. The, the enemy cannot do anything to disrupt, well, I don't know if that's the right word or not. Let me let me finish my thought. The enemy cannot do anything to separate you, to actually disconnect you from God. He cannot. But he can sure lie to you and trick you and manipulate you. And if you buy into that lie and you end up thinking that God's angry with you or God's disappointed in you or that you've got to figure this out on your own or you buy into that temptation, which is the same temptation that happened all the way in the beginning at the garden, that, you know what? I think I've got a better way. It seems like God is hiding from me. It seems like God is holding back from me because this snake over here just told me that God knows that when I eat from this fruit that looks so amazing that my eyes are going to be opened. I'm going to be enlightened. I'm going to know the difference between good and evil. I'm going to be filled with that knowledge. You know, God's keeping that back from me. God's hiding that from me. God's holding back from me. So let me try to do this on my own. I think so much of the temptation of the enemy that comes into our lives falls into that category of let me try to figure out my own way, my own path forward, because I don't know if I can really wait on God or if I can really trust God to come through for me on this. So we begin to take matters into our own hands. Now, even that, that doesn't separate you from God. It doesn't change your status as a son or daughter of the Most High God. It doesn't change the way that God thinks about you or feels about you. He loves you just as much when you're thinking good thoughts as when you're thinking stupid thoughts. He loves you with all of him. He loves you with all of his strength, with all of his heart, with all of his mind. He loves you with every bit of who he is. He loves you that much. And nothing, Paul declares in Rome, uh, yeah, Romans chapter 8, nothing separates us from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. There's no scheme of the enemy that can separate you from God. But there is this reality that we can put ourselves under subjection to a lie, buy into that lie. And as we begin to buy into that lie and feed from that lie, like it's like we're feeding from the lie. It's what's essentially nourishing me today. That's what I'm eating from. That's what I'm meditating on. That's what's essentially fueling my thought life. As I'm fueling my thought life with that lie, I'm fueling that lie. It's, it's growing. It's becoming more powerful. It's becoming uh, supernaturally, is that the right word? Demonically, I'd say empowered in my life as something that I can begin to lose control of. I think that that's what is known as a spirit of fear. And so I've bought into something that is absolutely not true, that has absolutely no power in my life. But if I submit myself to that thing, I'm essentially turning over authority to that lie to continue to lie to me. I've bought into an inferior mindset, an inferior reality. But guess what? I have authority. 
And that lie begins to lose its power the moment that I stop feeding it. Get that in your heart today. The moment you stop feeding that lie, the moment you stop feeding that fear, the moment you stop feeding that perversion, it begins to dismantle, it begins to unravel, it begins to lose its power over you. Now, I'm not saying in every situation, it's a momentaneous thing where it loses all of its power all at once. I'm saying that the moment you make a choice to stop feeding that thing, to stop feeding from that thing, that thing is going to begin to lose its power. It's going to begin to lose its foothold in your life. And you are on the right track to dismantling that thought that has held you captive. Now you're taking the authority of God that he's given you and saying, no, I'm going to take this thought captive because this temple belongs to the spirit of God. And so I'm not going to buy into this lie any longer. So he says, we capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience. If, if there's depression in me, you know what? I need, to, <laughs> I, I need to bring that thing. I need to bring that depression. I need to bring that worry. I need to bring that anxiety. I need to bring that to the feet of Jesus and just say, you know what? We're going to worship God in the midst of what I'm dealing with, in the midst of how I'm feeling, in the midst of what I'm going through. We're going to worship God because I'm not going to allow the enemy to rob me of the joy that the Lord wants to unleash within me. Another uh, passage of scripture that I absolutely love when we're talking about thought life. So, and, and we may come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 again. But so in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it talks about taking our authority in Christ over those uh, negative thoughts, over those lying thoughts and casting them down. You know, I think I missed the whole part. It says casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Let me read that one more time. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So whenever there is a thought that is exalting itself in my life against the knowledge of God, against the truth of God, it's telling me a different story. When there's some kind of thought, when there's something in my life that is telling me a different story than what the, the word of God is telling me. You know, if it's lying to me about me, if, if it's lying to me about who I am, if it's lying to me about my worth, about my value, about how good I am, about my probability of success, if it, you know, whatever it is, if it's lying to me, if it's presenting me something that goes against, that is in opposition to what God has spoken to me, either individually through his rhema or, 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 it, or through the reading of, of scripture, if I am receiving counterfeit information that is in opposition to the word of God, then guess what? I have authority to cast down, not in my flesh, but in the spirit. I have authority to cast down all of those arguments and those high things that are exalting themselves in opposition against the knowledge of God. 
you have that authority as a child of God to cast down those arguments. Again, those arguments do not belong to you. Even if you've bought into them in the past, those things are not yours. You know what, real quick, before we go into Philippians chapter 4, and I might be doing this out of order here, but that's okay. I just thought about it. Matthew chapter 6 is uh, this beautiful passage uh, at the end on on worry. Do not worry about tomorrow, about what you're going to eat and drink and what you're going to wear and all of this. Kicking off in verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. That's, that's pretty cut and dry right there. Then it goes into what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. So it's like all the provision stuff, right? Like, what if I can't afford the groceries that I need? What if this, you know, whatever. And, and, and it's just, you don't need to worry about those things. You don't need to, I mean, this is Jesus talking. There's red letters in my Bible. Do not worry about your life. When we get down to verse 31, it says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And I really like there, what I just wanted to point out real quick, what I really like there, in the King James, I'm reading New King James, but in the King James Version, in that verse, it says, it, it says these words, it says, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? It says, take no thought. And I love how that just lines up with the, the wording that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Take every thought captive. Take those thoughts captive. Do not take those thoughts for yourself. Do not accept those thoughts as your own. It's a mistake to accept those thoughts as your own and then to live from them and to just apply them to your life. Those thoughts they may be based on facts. Here's what we need to recognize, that the negative thought, the intrusive thought, it might be very much rooted in a fact. Like it is a fact, uh, just as an example, it might be a fact that your business is really struggling. It might be a fact that you got that negative diagnosis it might be a fact that you just lost somebody very, very close to you. It might be a fact that you've tried and failed multiple times. It might be a fact that your people abandoned you. You know, whatever. These things happen, like real things happen in life. I am not talking about denying the existence of a problem. What I am talking about is denying the influence that we allow that problem to have in our minds. And I'm not saying that you're not going to be affected by it. I'm not saying that you should ignore the pain of those experiences. I'm not saying that at all. I think when we experience loss in some area, whether it's the loss of a loved one or if it's the loss of uh, something that we loved or if it's the, the you know just the breakdown of a marriage, the breakdown of a relationship, whatever, I think it's very, very appropriate to grieve. And I always tell people, grieve well. Don't pretend that you're okay when you're not okay. So please do not hear what I'm not saying. I am not talking about, you know, taking our thoughts captive does not mean that we ignore the pain or the trouble or the conflict that we're in. <clears throat> I'm talking about beginning to turn things around by taking authority 
and refusing to allow those negative thoughts to impact our mind to the point that we get out of sync with the way that God thinks about us. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, I can't afford to allow any thought to exist in my mind about me that doesn't exist in God's mind about me. I might not have said that perfectly. It's like, if God doesn't think this about me, why am I thinking this about me? I've got to have that much value for what God says and only for what God says at the end of the day. And I say, if God is not thinking this about me, then I don't have to put up with this thought and I can dismantle that argument and I can cast it down and I can say no to that lie. He says, take no thought saying, oh man, what am I going to eat today? God, I don't even know if I, ha- if I can survive this season that I'm in. I, I don't even know. I don't even have money to, to get what I need. I don't even have the resources. I don't even have the strength. I don't even have the connections. I don't even have the whatever. Oh, what am I going to do about this? Take no thought saying. See, I always tell people the most important conversation you're going to have today is the one that you have with yourself between your ears. Because a lot of what we say, probably, you know, I think it might be the tip of the iceberg scenario where maybe like 10% of what we say is actually verbalized out of our mouth where other people hear it. And like the other 90% probably never leaves our lips, but we're saying it internally. And if we spend so much time thinking and our thoughts are just used to skewing negatively, then we're going to end up feeding from the wrong thing. See, this is where, you know, when the Bible talks about, uh, excuse me, when the Bible talks about (laughs) meditating on the Word of God day and night, why does that show up over and over again throughout Scripture? And then even in the place that I was about to go in Philippians chapter 4, when Paul talks to us about thinking about things that are good, that are lovely, that are true, that are praiseworthy, that are good report. Think on these things. Why does that matter so much? Why is it so important? Because what we think about is fueling our mind. It's fueling our thought process. It's fueling the direction of our heart. You know, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, I guess it is, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it uh, flow the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, because what's in your heart is going to be expressed outwardly. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in you comes out of you. It's a, a law of life. What is in you comes out of you. And so what we're filling ourselves up with really, really matters. Like it really does. The way you talk to yourself, talk is so important. It is so important. The, are, you, are you feeding from the word of God? Are you feeding from what God says? Or do you spend a significant amount of time just listening to these lies of the enemy that you've bought into? And here's the thing about our heart. Here's the thing about, let me say, the subconscious part of our mind 
is that once it, it, it here's what the subconscious does it gets used to something and then just repeats the process on autopilot forever until you change it an example that i always like to use is that of you know driving a car let's say you want to drive a stick shift for the first time there's a lot of things going on that you have to be consciously aware of consciously thinking about so like you've got to think about the clutch and you've got to think about the shifter and you've got to think about the gas and you've got to think about the you know the 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 order and the direction and how much weight and how much pressure and when do i pull back and when do i do this and when do i push in and when do i let off and it's all conscious because it's a brand new behavior. But once you get used to that behavior, it becomes what we were, would call second nature, right? Once something is second nature, it's no longer occupying your short-term memory. It's occupying your long-term memory. It's really existing in your subconscious. It's part of your life now. It's just there. You don't have to get in the car every single time. Like, you know, there may be the, the first few times, several times, whatever that you do it, it's like mental energy. You're thinking about what to do, when to do it. But once you get used to it and it's part of your life now, you just hop in the car and you just go. And you could be on a phone call. Hopefully you're not texting, but you know, if your state allows you to talk on the phone while you're driving, you might be on a phone call. You or you might be listening to a podcast or you might be like doing your, your makeup at the lights in between. Again, hopefully not while you're driving, but you know what I'm saying? Like you can do other things. Why? Because you don't have to think consciously about shift, clutch. Like you don't have to think consciously about all of that. It just happens because it's now being stored in the subconscious part of your mind. And you're probably never going to forget that. They always say it's like riding a bike. Like if you grew up riding a bike and it's been 20 years and you go out there and you get back on a bike, you probably don't have to relearn. You just get on and go. It's long-term memory. What your subconscious mind does is it gets used to something and then it stores it so that it's automatic information that's used to kind of serve as part of the operating system of your life. Why is this important to this discussion? Because your subconscious mind gets used to something and then it holds onto it unless you come back with new information to override the old information. And your subconscious mind doesn't care about right and wrong. What your subconscious mind cares about is what's normal, what's comfortable, what makes you feel safe. And sometimes what makes you feel safe is really excuse me, destructive. Sometimes what makes you feel normal is very terrible for you. <laughs> like if you have bought into a lie that says that you're not good enough for fill in the blank. That's actually become your comfort zone. And the hard part is not staying in that comfort zone. The hard part is branching outside of that comfort zone. I, I, I know somebody listening must be able to identify with this on some level. The hard part is not breaking out. Excuse me. The hard part is never staying within the confines of comfort. The hard part is breaking out. Even if breaking out of the comfort zone is something that's very, very positive, 
we're not used to it, your everything within you actually fights against it to keep you in that place of comfort. Why? Because it thinks it's doing you a favor. Your subconscious mind thinks that you're safer in the walls of your comfort zone than getting to the edge of that comfort zone and pushing past it. So your subconscious mind wants to keep you in that place of what it perceives as safe. But it's not always safe. It's not always what's best for you. And it's definitely not always what God has for you. And here's the thing. It can all be changed. And not to make this like, you know, I, I like making things practical. So I'm going to make this practical. Not to make this too natural, I want to say, because I believe that it is supernatural as well as natural. But repetition is essentially how we uh, co consciously or purposefully, let me say, affect our subconscious mind. Because I learn habits, like learned behavior gets developed within me through repetition. Like I did it once, and then I did it again, and I did it again. Like it's like when when people miss church one Sunday. Like if you if you are you know used to going to church and you miss church once, you're probably going to be fine. You'll be back there next week. But if you miss church once because you were out of town, then you get back into town. You get back like Saturday night and you're so tired and you sleep through church and you miss it again. Then you have like this real busy week and getting caught up and you're under the weather now and you're feeling sick. And then week three goes by and you stay home from church because you were sick. Like week four, I'm not saying this is every single person, but week four, it might be starting to look a little bit easier to miss church than it was four weeks ago. Why? Because you're ad adapting to a new behavior. It was weird to miss church the first time. It was weird to miss church the second time. And it might be weird to miss church. Like you might not feel right about it for five, six, seven, eight, however many weeks. But if you've been out of church for like months, you start to even forget that you're supposed to be in church. And you just kind of get used to that new system, the new behavior. It's kind of like human nature. But how do you break that pattern? How do you break that cycle? Well, it's really simple. You go back to church. <laughs> and then if like a week goes by and you don't feel like going back the second time, guess what? You, you continue to purposefully fight against that pattern that was developed. And you say, even though I don't want to go, I'm going to go. It's like working out. It's like exercise. It's like eating healthy. It's like whatever it is, it's not always fun it's very rarely fun at the beginning because we're breaking out of our comfort zone. We're breaking out of what's normal. It was really hard for me, you know, six months ago. It was really, really hard for me when I cut out all sugar and I cut out all carbs and I ate nothing but meat on a carnivore diet because I wanted to kind of get myself, I, I felt like for me, I felt like just, and I just, I'm not giving anybody advice on how to lose weight, but I felt like for me, I needed to do something extreme to kind of just shock myself into changing my lifestyle. I felt like I needed that because I was addicted to sugar and I was addicted to, you know, all kinds of food that was bad for me. 
And so I made it for me at the time, I made a drastic life change and it was not easy. It didn't feel good. It wasn't pleasant, but eventually my body starts learning, oh wait, maybe this is actually good for us. So what happens is at the beginning, you know, my, my body is like used to sugar. It's used to getting certain meals at certain times and all that kind of stuff. It's used to the bread. It's used to living on that stuff which is really garbage, right? Like that's not where I should be getting my fuel from. My fuel should be coming from more positive sources. But when you cut those things out that your body is used to, that your body wants, your body is going to fight against you. And so you start feeling bad. You start feeling lousy. You start feeling tired. You start feeling like you don't have energy. You know, you're trying to exercise and you can't, even though you're eating good stuff, your body is kind of perceiving what you're doing as a threat. And so it goes into this like survival mode and your body ends up fighting against what you're trying to do. But that doesn't last forever. It, in the grand scheme of things, it lasts for a very, very short period of time, at least for most people. So if you just keep going, just keep pushing through, practically speaking, you just keep pushing through whatever that boundary of comfort is, because here's the thing, real growth doesn't happen in a comfort zone. You've got to get out of the confines of comfort if you want to go to that next level. But I'm telling you, your subconscious mind has learned all kinds of behavior and has really begun to model the operating system of your life according to that comfort zone that you've been living in for however long you've been living in it. But through repetition through, I'm going to say it like this, meditation on the word of God, through thinking about the right kinds of things, and through developing the right kinds of behaviors, we can begin to shift that system so that the comfort zone is, is like moving. The comfort zone is changing. Now it's like when I eat crappy, I don't, I don't like the way I feel. It's the, it's the opposite effect. All right. Philippians chapter four. Because I got to wrap this up at some point. Man. Philippians chapter four. Oh, it's so good. Verse six says, be anxious for nothing, for no thing. Don't let anything make you anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. There's that word meditate. And uh, excuse me, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And here's the result. The peace of God will be with you. If we're lacking peace in our lives, I think the first place we should, or one of the first places we should start is analyzing what am I allowing into my mind? What am I allowing what, what am I feeding off of? What kind of thoughts are fueling me? What am I meditating on? 
don't get freaked out by that word meditate because to meditate really just means to think about. It's to ponder over, to muse over. What is occupying your thought life? Look, you can sit there and you can be anxious and worried and just kind of doing that mental game of trying to stay ahead of a problem in your mind, trying to figure everything out because this might happen or you think this is going to happen or whatever. It's that spinning your wheels, trying to stay ahead of a potential disaster. Like you can occupy your day with that nonsense. Again, not denying the existence of the problem. The problem is real. I'm talking about uh, denying the, the, I just lost the word. Denying the influence of that problem over your thought life. Because Jesus says in that same passage in Matthew chapter 6, he's like, how many of you, by worrying, can add like any accumulative stature to themselves? Like, how can you change your experience? How can you change what you're dealing with by worrying about it? Worrying about something does not help because worry is, if you're sitting there worried, you're meditating on negative stuff meaning that you are fueling your brain with negative stuff, meaning that what's going to be produced is going to be negative. It's a perpetual cycle of nonsense that is not helpful. So that's why G, uh, Paul says, don't be anxious for anything. There is nothing that is worthy of you getting anxious over it. It's just not. It might be really terrible. It might be really terrible. Still, don't let it control your thoughts. Don't let it occupy your brain to the point that you get into fear. Is there a place for troubleshooting? Yes. Is there a place for working the problem out? Yes, there is. So I'm again, I'm not saying like it's not helpful to like hide under the covers and pretend that the problems aren't there. The problems are there. Like I can promise you they're there. <laughs> but you don't have to allow those things to just run out of control in your mind. Um, where was I? Yeah. So the result of this is the peace of God will be with you. And there's somebody listening. You just need peace restored in your mind. That is what you need. You just need, you need peace restored in your mind because you've been anxious and you've been spinning your wheels. It says, think about these things, meditate on these things, ponder over these things, fill your mind with these things. Because here's the thing, your, your mind is never a vacuum. So you are always thinking, you're always meditating on something. You're always thinking about something. And you have authority to actually control the subject of your meditation, the object, I should say, of your meditation. I can meditate on all the negative garbage that's happening in my life, or I can choose to meditate on what God says. Because at the end of the day, what God says needs to become more real and more valuable to me than even the experience that I'm currently sitting in the midst of.
I hope this is helping somebody. Whatever things are true, praiseworthy, just, of good report, meditate on these things. And the peace of God will be with you. I, you know, I wanted to jump into some other things and give some examples. And uh, this has been, uh, this is coming up on an hour. So I don't know if I'm really going to have time. I, I wanted to just mention, let me just mention one of these. So there's some examples here. I wanted to show some examples of kind of people in scripture that were dealing with intrusive thoughts. Maybe I'll even come back and do another, um, you know, follow up to this or something. But um, there's there's a few examples that I was that I had considered, like Peter in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus, Peter and Jesus have this moment where Peter declares, he makes this confession out of his mouth that almost seems like a supernatural confession. Well, really, Jesus even says to him that it's this was not a flesh and blood statement that you just made. This came from my father. He put that in your heart. So really, it was a supernatural confession. Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. That is who you are. I know that that is who you are. It was revelation from God has this awesome moment, this beautiful, just victory moment with Jesus. And then like in the same conversation, Jesus starts talking about how he's going to go and be crucified. And Peter comes back and he makes this bold statement, but not a Holy Spirit inspired statement. He makes this statement of, of no, you're not going to die. We're not going to allow that to happen. And he begins to speak from a very human, fleshly place, saying things that sound great. I mean, it sounds good what he's saying, but it was not inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was inspired by his own humanity. And probably what I think Jesus was getting at, it was coming from a place of fear. And Jesus makes this statement to Peter. Let me see if, if I can't quote it. I'll read it. <laughs> he makes this statement to him. Uh, get behind me, Satan, <laughs> which is like a power. I mean, you don't want to hear Jesus call you Satan, but like pretty powerful statement. Get behind me, Satan. But then he qualifies what he said. He says, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. So here's the thing that, that just blows my mind there is Jesus doesn't say get behind me, Satan, because you're mindful of the things of Satan. You're mindful of the demonic realm and the powers of darkness and principalities. No, he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are mindful of the things of man. So when you and I think on a humanistic level, we are actually in opposition to the mind of Christ. And how much of our time do we actually spend operating from that place? Yeah, I don't even want to think about it. But it's like, we are, we're, we're actually submitting ourselves to a counterfeit ideology when we are thinking thoughts in our mind that are in opposition, that are contrary to the way that God thinks. Whether we're thinking those thoughts about ourselves or we're saying those things out loud to other people or whatever, it's like, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And there's actually a demonic component there because you're now I'm not saying I'm not talking about demon possessions. Don't get crazy on me or anything like that. And don't get condemned by this. It's just the reality of like Jesus was pointing something out. Like 
this is a thought that you think sounds good. You think it sounds like wisdom. You think it sounds like, you know, we're my, you know, my, um, like you're, you're, you're with me, you're defending me. It, it seems like you're coming from a good place. Your intentions are probably good, but it's actually that the thought is actually birthed in a realm that is in opposition to the way that God thinks. So here's the thing. Jesus spoke to the demonic power behind the thought. So that tells me just to give some biblical, I think, evidence to what I started off this discussion with. Not every thought that comes into your brain belongs to you. Just because it's in your head doesn't mean that it's yours. It doesn't mean that you have to take it. It doesn't mean that you're a sinful, terrible person because that thought came into your brain. No, you can actually reject that thought. You can actually choose to cast that thought down and to refuse to take it as your own. I hope that's good news for somebody. I really do. I really hope that that's good news for somebody because you don't have to just come under subjection and submit yourself to all of those negative thoughts that come into your mind. You can actually take authority. It's the authority that God has given you. So I think that in this moment, Peter had this intrusive thought come into his mind that was based in his perception of reality and what he thought and all of that. But it was somehow, somewhere along the line, it was obviously from the language that Jesus uses, it was demonically empowered. And Jesus recognizes it for what it is and says, even though this seems like a good natured thought, it's inconsistent with the way that God thinks and so if you allow this thing to keep going forward, it's going to derail you. It's going to mess you up. So let's call it what it is. It's from the devil. <laughs> so we can cast it down. See, I think sometimes we're trying to sweep stuff under the rug and act like we're better than we are. And like we're, you know, we've got it all together and we're all this and all that. And it's like, no, no, let's just call stuff what it is so that we can get free. I mean, let's, when you're in sin, this is off topic. When you're in sin, just call that sin what it is. Don't justify it. Look, your sin doesn't separate you from God anyway. So like, call it what it is. Recognize it for what it is. You're not a slave to a sinful nature anymore because if you're in Christ, you're a new creation and the old man was crucified with Christ on the cross. So like, we, you know, when we operate according to outdated information and we try to say like, oh, well, you know, it's just my sin nature or it was just this or the devil made me do it. Like, I don't think anybody said that in probably like 20 years, but you know, like that is something I used to hear growing up. The devil made me do it. And it was because of this. We try to blame this and blame that. Like, stop playing the blame game and just like call it what it is. Yeah, that's a that's a sinful thought. <laughs> that's a messed up thought. Call it what it is so that you can be free because the grace of God is so much more than enough to get you free from sin, from bad thoughts, from perverted thoughts, from fearful thoughts, from anxious thoughts, depression. The grace of God he is available to you and he wants you to be free. Just one more thing. I think one of the, maybe the, the best examples in scripture of intrusive thoughts just kind of showing up out of nowhere 
First um, Kings chapter 19, we have the prophet, like the prophet of the Old Testament, I think, Elijah. Elijah has this incredible victory in 1 Kings chapter 18, this incredible showdown against the prophets of Baal and, and, and just this amazing just demonstration of God's power and God's authority. And really, in this circumstance, I, I'm, I'm afraid to say this because, you know, not every move of power is validation of the person and validation of the ministry because, you know, sometimes... Well, anyway, but but in this case, I mean, the, the way that this thing happened, Elijah really had this incredible validation from God. I mean, is an amazing. You need to just read the story if you don't know the story, because I don't want to take the time to explain it. But we get into 1 Kings chapter 19. King Ahab tells Jezebel what happened what Elijah did. And now Jezebel makes a vow that she's going to kill Elijah. Um, now God had just done something so, so incredible, so supernatural. And I think 800, it was 850 prophets of Baal. It was like 400 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of something else. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I can't think of the, the words right now. I've been talking for too long. They were all just slaughtered. I mean, Elijah won that day. You know, Elijah really demonstrated how incredibly powerful God is. And now this woman named Jezebel vows that she's going to kill Elijah. And he gets into the most intense form of fear. So let me, let me just read these verses to you. Um, let's see where it starts. Let me, let me read verse two. It says, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time, that was Jezebel's vow to destroy Elijah. Verse three. And when he saw that, Elijah arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Now, um, when we he, he goes out into the wilderness and he's out there in a journey. Verse 4, he says, he, went, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Take my life, Lord. Kill me, because I am no better than my father's. It's enough. I can't do this anymore. I've ha I, I'm up. I, I'm have enough. I, I've had all I can take. I can't take it anymore. I am done. Just take me home. That's where Elijah's at. Verse ten, he says. So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So he's kind of in this isolation place now, thinking that he's the only one. How many of you listening have ever been there before, feeling like you are the only one? 
feeling like you don't have what it takes, feeling like you are completely out of strength, feeling like you are completely out of resource. So Elijah's in this place, and these, these are absolutely intrusive thoughts. These are demonic thoughts. These kind of like thoughts of death. And, and I don't know whether or not he was contemplating suicide or if he was just asking God to kill him, but he wanted to die. So he had this kind of death fixation in this season of his life that he was in. And this wasn't a moment. It wasn't like a day. It was he this was a going on for 40 days and 40 nights he's in this place and the whole time god is supernaturally providing for him food and and everything that he needs he's sustaining him god is just showing up in these incredible ways and yet he's dealing with these intrusive thoughts in his mind that he can't seem to shake that he wants to die that his life is in danger that it's all over and that he's the only one and that it's no longer worth it to keep going. And this kind of brings me back to where I kind of started the discussion talking about those intrusive thoughts come in that really don't seem to make sense. And I feel like there's a lot of people that have dealt with something on this level before where your faith is shaken. You know, maybe you've had experiences with God in the past, and maybe you're even having experiences with God in the present, but then these intrusive thoughts come in that are like, well, how do I know this is real? And you begin to question and your faith begins to get shaken up. Look, first of all, if that happens, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. If that happens to you and you're a minister, it doesn't make you disqualified for the ministry. If that happens to you and you're, you know, like you're this prophetic person and you've been serving God for years and you've got all these followers and you've got all this stuff going on in your life and you have those thoughts and you start thinking, how could I possibly be thinking this at this place that I am in my life right now? Look, not every thought that comes into your mind belongs to you. And sometimes these intrusive thoughts show up. I'm going to tell you right now. If suicidal thoughts come into your mind, those thoughts do not belong to you. And I, and I want to tell you that my, my, you know, I would, there's times where you have thoughts that come into your mind that are so intense that you need help. You need, you need to get help. You need to talk to somebody. Sometimes it's professional help. Sometimes it's therapy. Sometimes it's talking to a friend. Sometimes it's talking to a pastor, a leader. We all need these things at different times in our lives. So, you know, I'm not giving mental health advice because uh, I'm not qualified to do that. But I, I do believe that when those thoughts like that come into your mind, those thoughts do not belong to you. You are not in possession of those thoughts. And when these intrusive thoughts come into your mind, you have authority that God has given you to stand in agreement with what he says and not with that lie that is coming at you. You don't have to partner with that lie just because it came into your mind. And so stand on the truth of the word of God. Remember who God is. Remember who you are in him and begin to change the scenario, change the story by changing the, the, the subject, the object of your meditation. 
if those negative thoughts come into your mind, you know, like the solution is not always like, like to, you know how we used to do when we were kids, plug your ears and la, 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 I can't hear you. Like it's not, it's not always good. I don't think it's ever good. I don't know to, I mean, maybe sometimes it's helpful to ignore things if it's not a big deal. But if it's something that's been going on for a long time or something that's reoccurring and it really is a big deal and it derails you in your thinking, just plugging your ears and trying to ignore it is not probably the best solution. What you want to do is you want to replace that lie with truth by meditating on the word of God. A real practical way to do that is to find a promise. You can do it with one, but there are so many promises in the Bible that will help you that you can begin to stand on, <clears throat> begin to commit like a, a couple of verses to memory, write some stuff down. I mean, whether you put it in your phone or write it down, put it on the wall, put it on the mirror. See, sometimes we really do have to bombard our mind with the word of God in the same way that the enemy bombards our mind with intrusive thoughts. And what happens over time, the word of God begins to kick the crap out of the lie of the enemy. And those new thoughts that come from the mind of Christ begin to replace the old ones. You know, you don't have to believe something the first time you confess it. But if you confess it long enough, eventually it's going to take that place within you where it's going to affect what you believe. So, you know, you might have bought into the lie that says you're not good enough. So what do you do? You look for a promise in scripture where God talks to you about how much he loves you, about the fact that even while you were still a sinner, he died for you, about the simple fact that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. He did that for you. So you begin to look through scripture and you begin to find promises that you can stand on. And you bought in, <clears throat> forgive me, you bought into this lie all your life. So maybe the first time you read that promise or you confess that promise, or you declare that promise, or you write it on a note card, or you put it on a bookmark in your Bible, or you put it into your phone, or you text it to somebody, or you put a post on Instagram or, or Facebook or whatever, like sharing that Bible verse, like the first time you do that, you might not be overwhelmed by how thoroughly you believe every word of that promise. And that's okay. Sometimes I love what um, uh, the worship leader, Stephanie uh, Gretzinger said years ago. She said, sometimes we confess something because we believe it. And sometimes we confess something until we believe that. And I think that that is so powerful. That's so powerful. Sometimes you get a promise from scripture and look, the word of God is truth. So even if you don't believe it yet, accept that it's true and declare it. And if you declare it long enough, then the Holy Spirit be, is going to begin to transform you from the inside out because that is the power of the Word of God. See, this book is not like any other book. This book is supernaturally charged. It empowers you. It's living and powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It, it, it pierces to the division of soul and spirit. 
your spirit is where God lives in you. Your soul is your mind and your will and your emotions and where like a lot of that havoc <laughs> takes place. A lot of the mental, well, all of the mental battle and emotional struggle and the things that we deal with, the word of God can penetrate through all of that. But sometimes we've got to be diligent enough to say, God, I'm going to stand in this place of authority where I am no longer going to simply subject myself to these lies of the enemy to allow them to take up this, this, this territory, to take up this real estate in my mind. I'm not going to, as, as they say on the, uh, on the TikToks, <laughs> I sounded like an old person on purpose, uh, you know, where we allow these things to live rent free in our mind. Don't allow those lies to live rent free in your mind. Evict those thoughts. You have power. You have authority in God to evict those negative thoughts. Don't allow them to occupy the real estate of your mind any longer. Take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Say, you know what? Negative thought, you've got to bow before Jesus because this mind, this heart, this body, this temple belongs to Jesus. It's when I do this kind of session, um, I just, I feel like I need to, to pray. Um, so if there's anybody out there and you've just been dealing with any kind of negative, intrusive thoughts, reoccurring thoughts, lies of the enemy, um, look, I just want to just declare just the peace of God, the truth of God over you in Jesus' name. Uh, Father, I just, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that your word is living and powerful, God. And I ask that anything uh, stupid or out of place that I might have said, you would allow that to fall down and just let what remains be your truth. And I just ask God that if there's, uh, for anybody that's dealing with any of that stuff, anything that's been mentioned throughout this teaching or anything else that I didn't even think to touch on, Lord, but any kind of intrusive, destructive thought pattern. Father, we recognize it for what it is. It does not come from you. It comes from the enemy. And because it's a lie of the enemy, I thank you that we have authority now in Jesus' name to cast down those lies, to dismantle those arguments, and to make them bow before the truth of the knowledge of Jesus. And so, Father, I just ask that you would uh, just break through with your light and with your truth cause all of those lies to just diminish and fade away, Father. God, that you would even just supernaturally empower your sons and your daughters to stop feeding those lies, to stop buying into those lies, and to instead meditate on the Word of God. And I ask that in those moments where those thoughts come in, that we would be reminded that, Holy Spirit, you would remind us of the position of authority that we have and remind us to meditate on truth stand in truth. Remind us that we don't have to live in subjection to those thoughts and those fears and those lies. And Father, I do just, um, just specifically, I mentioned anybody that is dealing with any kind of suicidal thoughts, uh, suicidal ideation, thoughts of death, um, anything on that realm, Father, we recognize that those thoughts do not come from you. And those thoughts do not belong to that person. And so, Father, I just, I just command those thoughts to just fall away to nothing. 
We cancel the assignments of the enemy in Jesus' name. And I thank you for victory. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the knowledge of your word. And Father, right now in Jesus' name, I just declare, God, just peace. The kind of peace that only you give. The kind of peace that surpasses our understanding. And that causes our hearts and minds to be guarded, safeguarded and protected in you, Jesus. I ask that um, anybody that is dealing with any of the stuff that was mentioned, that you would just impact them even today with your love. That you would let them have a new, a fresh, just awakening, a fresh revelation of your love and of your goodness, of the love of the Father. If there's anybody that has never experienced in a real tangible way, God, the, the love of the Father, I ask that you would break in with light and with truth, that you would reveal your Father heart to them, God in a way that just brings life and brings peace and brings healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let me just tell you one more thing because I forgot to say it before. Um, Google is a great tool still. DuckDuckGo, you know, stuff like that. Lately, I've been using uh, like ChatGPT and that sort of thing. Like if I want to really find like a lot of instances of the, you know, when something occurred in scripture or something like that. Look, great tools. Look, if you're afraid of the AI thing, I get you. Uh, use Google or you know some other search engine or something like that, and you can just find. So what I what I'm saying is back to what I was talking about talking about being proactive about um, combating negative thoughts. Like you might, if you don't know where those promises are in the Word of God, like AI knows and Google knows. So just Google it. Just you know, you could search uh, promises in Scripture for dealing with anxiety, promises in scripture for dealing with depression. And the reason I, I mentioned ChatGPT is you can ask it questions. You can say, uh, can you show me five examples in scripture of people that dealt with depression? Or you can say five promises from the Bible that deal with whatever, healing, health, uh, finances, marriage, you know, whatever. And um, it does a really, really good job. Then you can ask it follow-up questions. So if it didn't give you the one you wanted, you can say, can you give me 15 more? And it'll instantaneously, like, it's just cool. So anyway, I, uh, if you need some promises to meditate on, just don't let any kind of like, if you're kind of new to scripture or whatever, don't allow that to stop you. Just use some, you could use some technology um, and uh, you can find some stuff very, very easily there. I'm probably preaching to the choir on this, but anyway, I encourage you guys to do that. I Forgive me if I don't see, because here on this platform that I use, I'm streaming to a few different platforms and they don't show me all the comments. They only show me comments from, I think, one or two sources. Um, but uh, Cindy said, great word, Duke. Even counselors need counselors at times too. I see it as discipleship sometimes. We all need to learn how to deal with stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I, we all need help. <laughs> we all need other people. And sometimes, again, that's like on the level of a friend. Sometimes it's a leader in the church. Sometimes it's a professional. And so, you know, I just, I, I encourage you, there's nothing wrong with reaching out to somebody uh, for counseling, for, you know, anything along those lines, if you're in that place where, where you need it, 
There's nothing wrong with being in that place where you need it. Don't pretend like everything's okay if it's not, because it's not helpful. So, uh, Cindy, thank you so, so much for sharing that. Uh, Olga says, great, timely word. Frank says, amen. Frank says, sometimes it's all combined. Yeah, yeah, brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's it's all of it, right? Sometimes you need all of it. Yeah, because, you know, when I'm, when I'm saying sometimes you need to seek out, um, you know, help or counseling or something like that from more of a qualified source, that doesn't mean that you should then stop talking to your friends or that you should stop talking to the people in your life. You, you know what I'm saying? Or stop talking to your pastor, stop talking to your leaders. All these things can kind of go hand in hand. And uh, so thanks for that reminder there. there. There's probably other comments from other platforms. I just can't see them in front of me right now, but I appreciate you guys for your comments and for reaching out and uh, hope that this was uh, just somehow blessing to you. Uh, don't forget to subscribe or leave a comment or a review on one of the podcast platforms, the YouTube channel, anything like that. Hey, if you think that this conversation could uh, benefit somebody that you know that may or may not be struggling with something in their mind right now, the truth is that at some point in the life of everybody that you know, like at some point in all of our lives, we we, we need, I'm not saying you need it from me, but we need these kinds of reminders uh, about, you know, standing on the word of God, meditating on the word of God. And, you know, we all deal with negative thoughts and that sort of thing from time to time. So do appreciate you guys. Have an awesome day and I hope to see you back for a future episode. Bye, everybody.